when Hamilton came out and when all the, you know, the glory and uh, just, just incredible outpouring of, um, of uh, popularity of that, I, I think there's never been anything like it on Broadway and it's still going strong, you know, $200 a ticket minimum. Uh, it's, it, and it's been made into a movie and everything. And I was so outraged that Alexander Hamilton was called an immigrant. And I thought people don't understand what's the difference between a settler and immigrant. There was no such thing as an immigrant at the point that the United States was founded. And he came to the New York colony. So for him to go from the a Caribbean British colony to a New York colony would be like any one of us, for me, let's say to uh, move to, or what I did, move from Oklahoma to California to go to college. Because these colonies, you're a citizen of the British Empire, you could move anywhere you wanted if you were white, you were white Brit, anywhere you wanted to any of these colonies as you wished. There was no immigration. First of all, there was no immigration laws at the time at all. And uh, they didn't really let anyone in who wasn't, uh, you know, who wanted to come even, um, who wasn't Scotch, Irish or, um, or Anglo and wanted to try to be a slave owner, you know, make a lot of money. So there was no, you know, no one was breaking down the doors to come to the new United States. But he came to the colony, you know, and he to go to Columbia University and some very wealthy, he was an orphan. He had been orphaned by his, his, uh, his parents died. A lot of people died in the Caribbean. I mean, they died quite a lot, you know, from diseases. So it wasn't unusual, but he was taken in by, you know, a wealthy person trained in accounting and then sent to his way paid and his tuition paid at Columbia University. And so that is not immigration and it was the twisting of it. And the fact that Lin-Manuel uh, himself was is a colonized person in Puerto Rico, it's a colony of the United States. He calls himself an immigrant because he moved from the colony of Puerto Rico to the United States. But Puerto Ricans have been citizens of the United States since 1913. So it's such a, people take this as real history. There are, you know, the, the he provided funds for textbooks, for lesson studies. He brought high school and junior high and elementary students free, you know, to his shows all over the country. And it's now built into, burnt into the curriculum that this is the history that children are getting today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, it's, it's certainly troubling, but I think your book provides a really good antidote to what in my estimation is propaganda i mean it's just it is all about revising history in a way that that sir i mean the the, the also maybe you have a minute left talk if you could talk about multiculturalism and 
diversity because we talk about this in our book and i feel like this it all has to do you know it all comes from kind of the same place this kind of like rehabilitation of the empire of colonialism to erase history and also erase the reality of that indigenous people are going through oppressed people working i feel like there's an erasure going on with these narratives and it's and it's on the liberal side of things because could you speak to that as your closing thoughts before we go yeah and we can we can go a little bit more if you want to oh, you okay a couple of other questions that, yeah I mean, sure I, i'm not rushing off but <laughs> um yeah the um uh it's 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 really a the you know multiculturalism is really problematic. Uh, it was a, a democratic uh, thing that it, I I put it this way. Actually, I got this from one of my mentors, Jack Forbes, um, that what people were demanding in the 1960s, what. African Americans, Native Americans, Puerto Ricans, Mexicans, uh, Asian Americans, Vietnamese, uh, uh, Chinese, Japanese, <clears throat> all of these people were demanding that the education system address their reality and not just be this whitewashed Anglo-Saxon history of the United States, which most people living today, well, I probably people my age, did use those t books. That's what we had in school and even in, in university. Um, pretty much, you know, just, just the, the, that story. And um, history was taught mainly as patriotism, you know, civics. And it was even, you know, Arthur Schlesinger Jr., who was one of the most important uh, influences, a Harvard professor on uh, how history got taught. He said it should be taught as civics, how to be patriotic, even at the university level. So that's, this is then, uh, you know, the, the Black Freedom Movement and all these movements that came in the 1960s, the anti-war movement, anti-colonial movement, um, that, you know, uh, being Cuba's independence had a big effect on those of us who were um, coming of age and uh, uh, we wanted to know more about it. We wanted to visit there and it was barred. Uh, so these exciting things, plus especially the Vietnamese resistance, um, politicized and informed so many of us, we really learned. Um, and then of course the Black Freedom Movement is teaching us about uh, uh, racism, uh, how it works, uh, how Africa is, is uh, demonized. This was when the colonial movements of, of uh, liberation movements were going on in Africa. And we all were very excited about Angola and of course the anti-apartheid in South Africa and um, so it was really a you know they there were no boundaries that could be built with you know with television 
even if it was slanted, uh, basically they didn't have many tricks at that time and they just showed things going on around the world. You know, I remember showing, uh, I was so inspired by seeing all these Africans in their, in their traditional clothing entering the United Nations as new nations. You know, it was just, it was so beautiful to, to see this happening. And of course, TV got to be, you know, more, not censored from the government, but, you know, self, uh, self-censored, uh, that you didn't want to be thought to be communist, you know, or red, because we came out of the red scare of the 1950s. And it was very strong still in the 1960s. But some of us would just say, well, hell, you know, if that's so bad and you're so, so uh, doing such horrible things, I think I'd rather be communist. <laughs> so we, we just, you know, we refuse to be baited by it like our, the generation before us who were terrified. I mean, they lost their jobs. They were, they were forced out of the country even, you know, tenured professors. So of course they were terrified, but their children were not so, <laughs> so afraid. So that, you know, that was such a liberating time. And the way Jack Forbes put it is that we were all demanding an anti-colonial revolution in this country, that this is a colonizing country itself. And that um, we had this kind of rainbow idea, the rainbow coalition that, well, Jesse, Jesse Jackson, um, you know, popularized it, but it existed earlier on in the late 60s and this came out of Chicago. Um, the Black Panthers, uh, the American Indian Movement, uh, the Chicano Movement, the Brown Berets, uh, the Puerto Rican Young Lords. So yes, they were each specific, but learning from each other and respecting each other's reality, but also as a unit, you know, as a people, and what the system did, you know, the edu educational system, I think this is very troubling uh, to, you know, the white professors. Uh, they, they could kind of see down the line that, you know, they were going to become maybe a minority <laughs> or certainly not an overwhelming majority. And these people were going to college, you know, they're going to university and so they introduced this idea of multiculturalism as rather than anti-colonialism. You know, they, they stripped it out and kind of successfully in some ways created these sort of uh, tubes of identi identity politics. I mean, the identity was there, but it was also interwoven and then it got broken down into a kind of, and especially at the university level by, you know, black studies. And I know I was very excited about um, uh, ethnic studies. I mean, it came to be called that, the sort of anti-colonial, but I came out of that, you know, radicalism and then, you know, went back and finished my PhD that I had abandoned to be a full-time activist. And I was very excited about building that, but the one we built at you know, a little state university here in California uh, that I was a part of, 
we built it on the basis of um, a unit of all of us. You know, we had our separate courses, but we also had half of our courses were inclusive of and were anti-colonial. But as time went on and as funding developed, uh, you know, for these things, um, and and radicalism was sort of, you know, especially at the end of the Vietnam War, which had brought so many people into this movement, opposing it and learning as they came in about all these other issues around the world, about Palestine and everything. So it started, you know, they, it, it really got distorted. I think our little program continued pretty well on the path, but most of them became very specific and then in competition with each other for funding, you know, for recruitment and getting enough students and so forth. So multiculturalism then became a, like uh, books came out where Native Americans were always uh, put as the first immigrants you know, coming over the Bering Straits 20,000 years ago. <laughs> and that was only some of them. They left out the ones going crisscrossing the Pacific, you know. Right. Uh, so it, it, it was, a, it was a, um, a, a kind of, I mean, it, it still is really. Uh, we haven't really gotten back to, I think we have in the last few years really led by, um, you know, black, uh, black people uh, certainly identified with Africa and brought African studies in. Uh, and Native people brought, you know, indigenous studies in from, you know, the rest of, of the Americas and the Pacific, you know, Hawaiian, um, Samoan Islanders. And, but I think this, uh, the Red Nation and, well, AIM itself so identified with colonialism, especially with Palestine. And it was so much alike that I think they really led the move toward decolonization rather than multiculturalism. But it's still sort of the edge, not the, you know, the main course of uh, multiculturalism still a, a kind of strong uh, that was like Lynn Manuel that was multiculturalism mm -hmm. uh, on the big scale yeah 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 huge emphasis I mean Hamilton is kind of like this inclusion on it's almost like on steroids because it was like putting it was like putting black people in the roles of the colonizers slave owners, laborers, slave owners. And no slaves. <laughs> no slaves in the thing. And then a lot of like semi, you know, I mean, we don't even have to get into the pop culture critique of like pop music, rap music, trying to put them all together. Like there was all sorts of weird, strange attempts to pander yeah. to basically everyone they could who would consume such a thing. Uh, but it, it, you know, it was effective. And I think your, your book is important because it, it counters your work um, on this is very important. Um, and Ishmael Reed, who has a, a great critique of this as well, you know, uh, very few voices, though, speaking up about, especially this issue of multiculturalism, diversity, because it, it, it gets, it becomes very sensitive 
in the absence of those movements that you spoke about, right? In the absence of a real anti-colonial, strong anti-colonial movement like what existed uh, just, you know, two, two or so generations ago, uh, 